Hello and welcome to The Naked Scarf. I'm Adam. And I'm Andy. And this week we'll be looking at Mordrian Undead. And now an exciting new feature, <laughs> since we seem to have forgotten to do this last week, which I have entitled Andy's Plot Synopsis. Jingle coming soon. So Andy, give us a plot synopsis for Mordrian Undead. Okay, well, um, we start in a typical English boys boarding school. Um, make no jokes, where a kind of really shitty kid is uh, uh, convincing his friend that uh, it would be a really good idea to take a, a really nice, shiny, lovely, really beautiful classic car. Actually, if anybody knows um, exactly what that car is, then do get back to me and let me know, because I, I, I'd be quite interested to find out. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, really nice classic car for a joyride. And they crash it and they're knocked unconscious and uh, whilst they are knocked unconscious the uh, uh, little shit kid uh, who, who we find out is called Turlo is uh, kind of visited in his subconscious by the Black Guardian um, who offers to take him off of Earth if Thurlo kills the Doctor um, meanwhile the TARDIS has landed on board a deserted pleasure ship and uh, Nyssa and Tegan and the Doctor are exploring it uh, when Turlo turns up there in a sort of cute little pod thing um, the Doctor sends the TARDIS back to Earth with Mr. Antigan and goes back himself in the pod with Turlo um, but um, through some meddling they turn up uh, in the same spot but a few years apart and so Mr. Antigan go to locate the pod not realising this has happened but instead of the Doctor um, in there they find a burnt body which is still alive and believing it to be the Doctor they bring the body back to the TARDIS where he claims that uh, he's regenerating uh, however as the TARDIS uh, restores him it is revealed he's actually a really ugly alien with an exposed brain and his name is Mordrin although he's still trying to pretend that he's the Doctor and that's just how he has regenerated turns out that Mordrin has some alien bodies back on the ship that uh, Nissa Teagan and the Doctor have uh, come off of and they've made themselves immortal but they now want to die and they can't take the Dignitas option so they try to convince the Doctor to give them his remaining regeneration so that they can then die and he refuses meanwhile there's some fun with the Brigadier yay, um, both in the past where Tegan and Nyssa are and a few years on with the Doctor because he's been teaching in the school where the TARDIS and the pod have materialised from and this uh, summary has been going on far too long now and I'm really bored so we'll just sum it up by saying that the Doctor finds a way to let Maldron die without risking any of his uh, regenerations everyone gets back to Earth, Nicholas Courtney is awesome and Turlo ends up joining the TARDIS crew and I've missed so much out in the meantime that it's unbelievable but if I did explain it all we'd be here all day Right, I give that a C- minus. Bastard Well... You, you did completely fail to mention the Brigadier until the last paragraph. I know, but, <laughs> but, 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 I, it, honestly, if I'd gone into that level of detail, we would have been here all day. Okay. I was trying to think, uh, I, but, I even wrote stuff down, people. I was trying to think of a way to make it more palatable, but we, we just honestly would have been here all it, day. We're still working on it. It's fine. It's a new feature. We're not used to plot synopsing ing ing. Okay, first point. It's interesting because you, when you're doing that, what I just picked up on is that you say the Black Guardian turns up and goes to Turlo, uh, I'll get you off Earth. And it's it's never really stated there. He's obviously an alien, but it's never, no one outright says it to him. In fact, and it's only something that's hinted at throughout the rest of his appearances until he leaves in Series 21, Planet of Fire. 
that's never really he's hinted at being mysterious but that's it and there's almost not a lot done with it until they have to get rid of him in the next year no that's fairly true but you can tell that he's an alien in this one because when he turns up it's in front of a whizzy hypnotic cgi background or cgi style CGI background cgi is, is a giving bit, it a lot yeah, of credit that, that's a bit that's a bit late but it was fantastic i was looking at it thinking yeah no this isn't making me want to sleep with him anymore so they kind of failed in their job there i don't think it was hypno background i yes I don't think their job was to make you want to sleep with Turlo. I could be wrong, <laughs> but I'm fairly certain that was not the original intention. Oh, come on, let's face it. If you were working at the special effects department at the BBC at the point, then you'd be absolutely determined to try and make something out of that, wouldn't you? You don't know. Maybe they've been using Doctor Who as a tool through all these years, through their special effects, to hypnotise the no. entire nation. No, into... no, okay. no, no. You are so boring. Yes, immensely. Uh, okay, so yeah. Anyway, he's obviously an alien. It's never really gone into, and it's obviously the idea of introducing a, a dangerous companion. But of course, whether that really works, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not really sure. Uh, actually, in my notes, I've just put Turlo, bit of a shit at first. I mean, he's played very well. He, uh, Mark Strickson plays him. He's quite almost, not likable, but yeah, he's quite interesting, and he's he's yes. good on camera. And it's funny actually that you use the words bit of a ship because they're exactly the same words that I were initially going to use but you know and of course you forget to mention the fact that we can tell it's a, an English public school not just because of the very silly uniforms they have to wear but because no one refers to anyone by their first name it's either a nickname, their title or their surname so Hippo and Headmaster and Brigadier no, no, no one actually has a full name that's because they all go into the secret service later Yes. Right. Changing changing subject a bit. It's an interest for me. This is an interesting one because it is this one of the few times the, the original series really looked at time travel instead of just time travel as a way to get them to the Aztec era for an adventure or revolution revolutionary France yes. as a, for an adventure or in the last time they I'm trying to think last time they did a historic historical it was actually yeah Peter Davison to the 1920s for a fun party in the murder mystery. Um, this is actually when they, they, they really look at it's, it is a time travel story mm. with the idea of the two brigadiers in the two time zones and the, the idea of what will happen if they meet now this is something interesting because this is something that's been explored more in the in the new series yes. uh, in episodes like Father's Day and it seems like Stephen Moffat is constantly having multiple versions of the same character turn up in various stories and seemingly in the comic relief specials they're about to do as well Oh, um, two Amy yes. Ponds. Um, yes, two Amy Ponds, because Stephen Moffat has a direct link into my brain. Uh, yes. <laughs> but it's not something that ever... It's kind of... I suppose it's touched upon a little bit in a couple of stories in the original series. Uh, Space Museum, where they where they turn up and, you know, they, they, they jump a time track and they see their own future and then they try and avoid that. Oh, you've seen Space Museum now? No, I haven't, oh. but I know that's what happens. Oh, okay. No, it I'm is so sadly happy. like, I do want to see it. It's just one of these ones I, I've never had the chance to, but Jobless, I would buy it on DVD, but it does come with the chase in the same box and the chase is fucking awful. <laughs> um, but I probably would buy it because I think I can invent a, a drinking game with the chase and that will make it a little more bearable. I love the Space Museum. William Hartnell hides inside a Dalek. Good for him. <laughs> but, yeah, and uh, I think Day of the Daleks, where they actually introduced the idea of the, I'm going to mispronounce this now, Blonovich limitation effect, that has a very brief meeting between a future Joe and a future Doctor and them, just, but it's not, and it, that does 
that's more about time travel changing the past. But generally speaking, for the number of stories, time travel is just a means to get from A to B. And it's, un- it's only with Moffat that we've seen it become a regular part of the series. And, and again, I-, I said comic relief, but also in the, from what we've seen of series six, it looks like they're going to meet a future Matt Smith with a beard. Uh, I- I'm-, I'm guessing. I don't know, because I avoid spoilers online like-, like the plague, so I could be wrong on that. But that I would think be what you're I wrong on that. Trailer. Okay, I'm possibly wrong on that. Damn you. <laughs> <laughs> but where was I? I'm, comp- oh, I'm rambling again. But yeah, good. it is the first time we really look at it, and the idea of the the I said the, uh, the two brigaders meeting the Blonovich limitation effect, or a convenient way to get out the doctor out of the problem in the story. I mean, it's, it is interesting. They, they do quite a good job with Nicholas Courtney making him look younger and then older. Yes. It and but it does get a little bit British farce with, with the tr- them constantly trying to avoid the two brigaders meeting. Everyone going, oh no, because everyone literally, you know. Mordrin, the doctor, everyone's going, oh no, you mustn't meet. And there's virtually the Benny Hill theme playing as they're running around trying to avoid meeting each other. And he'll, you could avert, they've, I'm surprised he didn't at one point go, quick, hide in this closet, Brigadier. And then another Brigadier could come along and they go, quick, Brigadier, hide in this closet. And then they hilariously find themselves in the same closet. No? No, maybe not. No, no, I, I do like that idea, but, but no, actually, I can't even I, I can't even articulate what I'm thinking right now because, um, because this is you a family have to keep po- bringing the. <laughs> It's not a family podcast. You've got an explicit tag because you talked about space pussy in the last episode. Oh, that's really not that bad. No, I decided to go with explicit because I couldn't trust you not to be. <laughs> okay, fine. I was just wondering exactly what uh, what the brigadier would be doing in the closet with himself. Being very British, and uh, I know that's set in a public school, but there are limits. Uh, being very British and very... I mean, Nicholas Courtney is great in this. Um, I, it's, it's, it's interesting to see the Brigadier outside of unit. Yes. Because that had never been true. done. That's, that's the first true. time. And not character development, but they do give that thing of when he talks briefly about the breakdown with the Doctor and he gets angry. And that's an interesting, almost a slightly more vulnerable take on the Brigadier just, Brigadier, just for a second. And then again, it being this being the original series, Doctor 2, it's not gone into in great detail. They move along, move along with the story. Um, but you know he is very oh, there good. is there is a bit of uh, there's a, a fair amount of character development uh, for the brigadier in that episode actually as we saw in the uh, making of when he was saying that uh, he tried to play the younger brigadier as, as uh, more upright more authoritarian and uh, the, the slightly older brigadier is having relaxed a bit more I think yeah, that you can but it's see not, that yeah oh yeah no no you can see that but it's not I know it's not like explicit charted character no, no no I know but, which is not whether really what the the original series ever really did as such but it's interesting because we were talking just before we did this obviously about the plot synopsis and how this one's quite a complex one to sum up uh, where where the next week oh I say next week whenever we do the next episode uh, we're probably going to do Horror of Fang Rock which is Lighthouse Light thank you I wish you could see what Adam was doing just there he was waving his hand around in the air to symbolise a lighthouse light going on and blinking it was it was fantastic it, this, is, this is Doctor Who the Naked Scarf plus charades I'm totally going to edit all that bit out to make myself look better. No. <laughs> the horrifying rock, which is lighthouse, dead people, aliens, Doctor and Leela. You do all the Doctor says, oh, I will cut out your heart. That's the entire plot summarised, really. But this one's a lot more complex. And it's interesting because you've got, you've got the two brigadiers, you've got the Mordrin and the idea, and, and, and all those people. who uh, You've got the Black Guardian, you've got Turlo. It's a lot of elements. And it irritates me a little bit. I don't think some of them. But it, no, the Black Guardian. The Black Guardian is 
just appears and he's being evil and we're just supposed to remember who he is now he would last time the black guy because the black guy didn't actually only appeared in uh, Armageddon Factor in series 16 end of the key to time for about five minutes if that mm. and yeah he's mentioned throughout that particular uh, series but I've got this thing that I, I think even if a character last time your character appeared is four years ago you need at least something it's fine to introduce him just as being an evil guardian a guardian or a guardian of evil but you've got if particularly as he has such a hatred for the doctor you, you've at least got to go at some point yeah, he followed me with a cue to time or just something just to give it a bit more context and it's interesting because obviously it was series 20 20th anniversary and the in each um, story, the idea was he'd face an old foe from his past, the Doctor would. And the, at the beginning, we had Arkham Infinity, where they reintroduced Omega, but with no real explanation. You're just supposed to remember Omega from 10 years ago. And people go, and the Doctor's like, Omega, I thought you were dead. And it's like, because you faced him when? It's not very friendly to new, to new I was going to say readers, viewers, but I might have even say to readers, because it reminds me a lot of the, some of the trouble with comics these days, where they're writing for one audience, and... They, they don't really bother easing in new viewers and particularly if you're talking about a TV series where yes you do have a lot of loyal fans who will watch it throughout but you'll have like a whole new generation of kids watching something like Dot 2 and they might not have a clue who Omega is or the Black Guardian is and it doesn't hurt just a few lines just go there you go because otherwise he's just a dude with a bird on his head who turns up and starts really with a wonderful voice that starts going I want you to kill the Doctor because um, I have a bird on my head, do what I say. <laughs> well, a bit that actually kind of got to me about this episode was, um, well, it was a series of episodes, uh, was that the Doctor was not willing to give up his regenerations to uh, ease the, uh, the suffering um, of Mordren and his uh, alien buddies. Um, uh, that's something, sorry, before we continue, because you didn't mention your plot synopsis. But that's something because the reason they're uh, Mordred and the scientists obviously are in trouble is that they stole Gallifreyan technology to make them regenerate, but it kept them in perpetual regeneration, so they can't die, but they're in constant pain and agony. And for some reason, the, the energy from the Doctor's remaining regenerations would uh, help them to die. I uh, did mention this in my plot synopsis. You, no, I just no, you synopsized didn't. it. <laughs> no, no, you didn't mention about it being time lord technology that they stole. No, I didn't mention that, but once again, that's because it's a synopsis. I know, but I'm just saying. <laughs> anyway. This is where it all falls apart. We'll have our, we'll have our own uh, podcast eat soon, and we'll just bitterly ranting <laughs> at each other. That would probably be very entertaining. I'd listen to it. Anyway, um, yes, but I, I just thought it was quite interesting, because unintentionally the Doctor has kind of put a relative scale on things, where he wouldn't give up his regenerations for uh, how, how many... It was eight, and eight of course of he, was, he was the yes. fifth Doctor, and, and yeah. so that would have been the remaining. That would have number. been the remaining generation. I mean, so it's... he wouldn't give them up for um, eight uh, Mordrin um, alien things, but at the same time, there was a, a part of the plot where uh, Tegan and Anissa were contaminated by this sort of Mordrin strain. It, it's, it's suggested that somehow with their constant experiment, because the guys have been experimenting themselves to try and cure themselves, yes. and the, uh, a side effect of that has been to make the mutation into a kind of virus. Yeah. It's a little bit vague because they're like, it oh is. you two must have got it because you touched him, but it, it's a bit, it's never really explained just as equally it isn't explained how when the Doctor is going back in time 
it makes Nissa and Tegan younger. It does, yes. And Lucy Benjamin, that woman off of EastEnders, not that I watch EastEnders, but, you know, for some reason I know who Lucy Benjamin is. She plays one of the little ones. Nissa, isn't it, I think, with a terrible wig. And by the way, if anyone from Big Finish is uh, listening, or anyone who... Yeah, if anyone from Big Finish is listening, (laughs) I have an idea for setting a series of adventures uh, starring the Fifth Doctor and Minnie Nissen and Minnie Tega. Call me. <laughs> Minnie Nissen's face was adorable. I mean, in a really sulky Jabba the Hutt kind of way. But... <laughs> I mean the facial expression. I wasn't implying that she had 50 million... <laughs> oh, no, ha, ha, solo. <laughs> Anyway, um, I did have a serious point before. This is, you know, now you're derailing me. You're like a blog. Uh, you're like a pod troll or something. I don't know. Um, yes. Anyway, my point was that the doctor was willing to um, give up uh, his life to save uh, Nissa and Tegan's uh, because every time they tried to travel through time, the virus accelerated or decreased. De- yes. So. Um, and. He was willing to uh, give that up for him, but not for the eight uh, aliens uh, stuck behind, which um, is is really the Doctor putting a relative value on how um, useful or interesting people are to Uh, him. I suppose because he has a thing about you have to learn to live with the consequences of your own mistake. Yes. And there's also this idea, because it's obvious he won't, from what I pick up on that, it's quite obvious that he won't die from it. He'll just, they keep going, you'll stop being a Time Lord. It's odd because it seems to indicate the only way you can be a, the only thing that makes you qualified to be a time lord is regeneration. Yes, yeah, so else, by the time it. you get to your Which last one, odd, you're practically human. Yeah, this is almost the logic you could take with that, but it doesn't quite make sense to me. But no. they keep going, oh, you won't be a time lord, you won't be a time lord. And I guess he's like, well, you guys, this is your guys' fault, why should I help? Which is an odd, quite an odd view for the doctor, at least yes. not to look for a different alternative mm. for what to do. And then, yeah, I he know. does it because his friends are, are, are directly threatened which is, is an oddly dickish thing for the fifth doctor to it really be like, is actually, i did think usually, that it, it would be more of a almost a hartner response or even a, a baker response uh i, I did think Orton. that at the time actually because uh the aliens well, well they were a little bit dickish in the first place oh, to kind of think dickish. oh yeah we'll bring the doctor back here and then guilt him into giving up the rest of his regenerations for us I, that's charming that's really charming but the doctor versus passive aggressiveness yeah exactly but um, at the same time, um, it was unusual of the Doctor to not try to help them. It is, and like you say, very unusual for Peter Davidson's Doctor in particular. And yeah, it, it, it did throw it's... me a tiny bit because of how cold-hearted he was. It's one thing to live with the uh, consequences of your actions. It's another thing to live with the consequences of your actions for all eternity because you can't die. Couple, uh, couple of points. Do you know what a warp ellipse is? Because I keep mentioning they're in one. I still have no clue. There's something about it being a fixed point in space and time. But if they're travelling around, they can't be at a fixed point in space and time. Unless... I just didn't quite understand it. You know, I mean, I understand the whole being in two different time zones. But whether they're in two different time zones because of the warp ellipse, it just... It's, it's just one of these technical... I suppose it's one of these technical babble terms they throw at you and it doesn't really get an explanation. You know think- what? We should actually start our own Wikipedia for sci-fi jargon. I wonder if there already, might already be that. I mean, there's like, there's like obviously Doctor Who Wikipedia's and stuff. Well, we but... know a real scientist who can make it sound like real yes, science. Warp ellipse. Because they, they mentioned at the beginning, it's mentioned warp ellipse, something about being a fixed point in space and time. Whoever that means, the ship 
in the place in question is circling around the universe but only staying in one particular moment in time which is odd there's also a few things like why is there that beacon on earth disguised as a as a statue for for their transmat capture which they use yes that's not i don't know if that maybe that is explained and i just missed it but i couldn't quite work out why the that problem is is that whenever i try and think back to this episode there are so many elements of it literally so many elements that my mind just kind of goes and then gives up i that's it i in the end it's odd because i don't a i don't think it really quite works i think there's some very interesting ideas and also for a story with so many elements including two brigadiers which yes. is uh, two brigadiers sounds awesome but it's also quite dull and yes. the final episode is just a bit yeah okay it's maybe because Mordred never really seems as, as much of a threat or a villain just more of a bit of a dick yeah and I just you know I'm not I'm a bit bored by the end of the episode even though you've got like this this ginger schoolboy trying to murder the doctor except like I said if if you're new to Doctor Who or if you're new at the time you don't know why he's trying to murder the doctor just because some dude with a duck on his head demanded he did it oh, okay Raven Sorry, I'm not quite sure actually what the bird was, but you know, bird head anyway. It's an ominous looking Edgar Allan Poe style bird with black feathers. If you want to identify it further, then you are too pedantic for your own good. Quite possibly. But you know, it just doesn't quite. There's all these elements which should make a re- something really interesting, but it doesn't quite click. And you can do stories with complicated elements in Doctor Who where it works. Uh, off the top of my head, Curse of Fenric. Yes. That's got a lot of different elements and that but that manages to bring it all together a lot more successfully. But there's more of a sense of a real threat, I think, and that's maybe what this is lacking. Well, yes. I mean, and if we take it back to the most recent, uh, the, the Pandorica uh, stories, I thought yeah. were very successful whilst being very complicated. In fact, I've seen a fantastic uh, uh, graph drifting around the internet charting uh, people's progression through space and time um, as, as, as they go through that episode. And uh, if you can hunt it down, do. It's rather wonderful. Science pictures. Um Yes, that was for Dave, by the way. Hi, Dave. <laughs> yeah, can we actually just put a thanks out to our friend uh, Dave, who is basically the technical wizard on this. The He's that the, scientist we know. He makes false science sound like real science. And he, he's like the, the third member of the Naked Scarf, really, giving us hosting space and doing all the technical stuff that I don't really understand, but I can be shown how to do the basics of. And so, generally yeah. being just very enthusiastic and wonderful in general, and not shit. Thanks, Dave. Anyway, <laughs> that's completely gone off topic once more. I, I think we should give up this thing of being on topic because we never stick to any topic for more than about 30 seconds without either going, mm, ah, mm. Yeah, but let's face it, you knew what you were getting yourself into when you asked me if I wanted to do this. Yeah, this is true. This is very true. Anyway, what were we talking about? I have absolutely no idea. Modern and dead. Where were we? <laughs> so anyway, yes. Um, I did also think it was kind of interesting from the point of view that completely forgot what I was going to say. Can I just make a point where you're thinking? Okay. Okay, here's an idea. I think I've talked to you about this before, that I sometimes think uh, Davison's Doctor is slightly misinterpreted a lot. I think people talk about being pleasant and uh, nice and innocent and uh, vulnerable, which he isn't really, particularly people talking about being a more emotional Doctor, and he's not. In fact, he's almost less than big because he's very, plays it very kind of like stiff upper lip. Yes. In a way. But I and I I think people miss the, the sarcasm that he has as a dot. He has this kind of senses, which he often uses to help him cope with Tegan and things. Yes. It's just like this kind of sarcasm, kind of gentle, almost it's so polite you almost miss it. Kind of sarcasm that he comes out with a lot. 
I have to admit, I do think that Peter Davison's Doctor has uber skills that are exemplified in this episode, in that he wears an outfit that's pretty much entirely cream and white and spends an awful lot of time crouching in the mud and never once does he get it dirty. I mean, the man wears white shoes. What sort of a fool wears white shoes? Not only is it inappropriate after Labour Day if you're in America, but at the same time, they're absolutely impossible to keep clean, and yet he's always pristine. I think that, yeah. I, I, I want to be a Time Lord if that's what goes with the territory. Gallifreyan trick. Yeah. Um, but do you think his doctor suspects Turlo? Because. No. Really? A couple of points. Well, there was one point where they're down on Earth together, and Turlo comes up with some technical jargon, and just behind him, you see uh, the doctor react. He looks up at him, and it's obviously a kind of look of, you shouldn't know that. And there's another point where he finds the, the crystal that the Black Guardian gives Turlo to communicate with him. He find, The Doctor finds that. And he's already mentioned something about there's a lot of coincidence, cosmic forces, very briefly, but he obviously doesn't pursue it because he's got other, other matters at hand. And he finds that, and he must know that's something odd, something different. And then he, he kind of just, remember, he goes and he just throws it casually to Turlo and says, I think that's yours. And even at the end, where Turlo goes, Can I join you? And he goes, I think you already have. It, it seems to me he does. Maybe he doesn't know what exactly, because there's no reason he should automatically yes. think the Black Guardian. Okay, no, there's a point. But I, th- I think maybe that on some level he seems to s- suspect something's up with Turlo. He, he's not quite as naive as perhaps people like to paint him. I don't think he could ever really call the Doctor naive. People tend to with Davidson's Doctor, at least more innocent, more trusting. Uh, yeah, more innocent, more trusting, but certainly never naive. It, it, it just it's, it's not a characteristic that gels with being a Time Lord. No. No, I guess not. But you can see what I mean. I do maybe see what you mean, yes. Yes, more awareness. Well, yes, I mean, uh, one thing that I did actually particularly like, because he also liked to watch the little making of on the uh, DVD, um, is that they said that the story was loosely based on the idea of the Flying Dutchman, uh, a ship in space uh, flying around with people on it, sort of doomed to an eternal life, which must have seemed like a very attractive proposition once a very long time ago and then they realised that perhaps that isn't so which which I quite like obviously Doctor Who has a long tradition of taking um, well modifying stories a little bit uh, very old ones Um, I really like that and I also thought that the uh, design of the alien spaceship uh, they point out that it was designed very much for pleasure and I, I thought the design was brilliant because when I first saw it when they first walked into it I thought it looks like a futuristic sort of Kitsch cruise ship. Yes, yeah, so no, the design I, I of the like ship is, is quite strong. The um, the costumes that the because um, the alien race is never named, is it? No, uh, which is why I keep saying you m- know the Mordrins. Mordrin and his ugly buddies. Yeah, yeah, or the, or the Mordrins as I'm going to call it. Or the guys with brains on their heads. Yes, um, <laughs> but the the Mordrins dresses is what they are. For some reason, there's a shot where they all walk past. And, and it looks gliding. like they are gliding on but, roller skates or something. the one thing I, for some reason, popped into my head was the Gilbert and Sullivan song of Three Little, uh, Three Little Maids from School or We. I don't know why, but that might just be how my brain works. But I, Yeah, I, it wasn't what I was. I was, like, personally looking them up and down and thinking, yeah, I know this was filmed a long time ago, but you've kind of missed the fashion mark there. It's colour blocking, which is in not somebody just threw up a rainbow all over your white robes. Yes. <laughs> But uh, again, I, I do apologise, dear listeners. Always, we're, we're, we're kind of, sl- kind of smashing back and forth between topics. But going back to the brigadier that we were discussing earlier, because originally it's interesting because originally they wanted to get um, the character of Ian Chesterton, 
yes. back in, which would have made sense it being would. set in the school. And I was reading earlier that they, they, because they couldn't get him, because apparently he, wasn't, he would have done it, but he wasn't available at the time. So they got, um, they, they also tried to get, uh, they thought, oh, no, they thought about using uh, Harry Sullivan, which again, as a, I suppose, would have made sense. Do you think it makes sense for the, the, the brigadier to retire and teach? In all fairness, the brigadier has lived a life of public service. So, yes, perhaps from that perspective. And in all fairness, I could see him quite enjoying a sort of comparatively more quiet life. But a quiet life for the brigadier is, is not going to be the same thing as a quiet life for everybody else. So I actually think that it could make a lot of sense. I certainly didn't see him there and think, oh, this this is terribly, terribly wrong. Yeah, no. I know. I mean, it's all because I, I always thought the Brigadier as being like a lifelong career soldier. Yes. So I think it is odd, but it's not completely out of character. Well, no. I mean, these schools were run quite in quite a militaristic yeah. way. And a lot, I mean, I think a lot of those soldiers did go and teach in the British public school system. They need some of them back now in our oh, no. comprehensive. No, no, no I'm joking. No, I am no. joking. I am joking. I, I will never again bring up politics in this vlog. Uh, good. Except to say that I'm a liberal. Hi. You should see the look on Adam's face right no, no, now. No, no, I, I, I'm liberal as well, but I just—I I know it's you not just something like... we want to get into. Yes, okay, really. fine. Of course, the thing with the Brigadier, something that at least isn't known in fandom, has been a, this episode did cause some, sorry did cause some uh, controversy because, of course, the quote quote um, unquote unit dating controversy because obviously this place is the original unit stories very much at the time they were shown first yes. from about 1970 to 1977 and then the Brigadier retires and of course in Pyramids of Mars Sarah goes I'm from 1980 and of course this caused fandom this split fandom apart or something I imagine um, and it's always been a bit of a controversy you know I think the original idea was the unit stories were set slightly ahead of their time but actually it's never really well, the politics are different, and Britain seems to have a space program and things, so they could be slightly futuristic. But you could just accept that it's not real. I mean, ultimately, <laughs> I, th- I think you can sum up the unit dating controversy very easy. It doesn't matter. It doesn't affect any quality of any story. It doesn't. You're in a time travel series. No one even worried about con- uh, about long term continuity until about series 18 really before then it was always whatever happened about at the maximum five years before Adam are you trying to tell me there's more to life than Doctor Who Uh, there's other things to enjoy but you know it's one of these great things of people and they even refresh with the new series in the oh god I can't remember is it the Centauran Stratagem or Poison Sky where uh, Tennant's Doctor goes I worked for them in the 70s or was it the 80s and that's almost the best attitude to have because even though the doctor can't remember and isn't that bothered, it seems, you know, there, there are things to criticise in this story. You know, it like I said, it's a little bit dull towards the end. It has all these elements, some of which aren't really given a proper introduction. It just ultimately doesn't quite work. But the dates, not so. Much. At the end of the days, date. Uh, at the end of the day, dates don't bother me nearly as much as the idea that the doctor might be half human. We are going to do the TV movie really soon, you know that. <laughs> you bastard. You bastard. But yeah, I mean, it's one of these things, you know, in the time travel series, don't be that what concerned about the dates. It probably changes. Right. Uh, is there any other points you want to bring up? No, not really. It, it, you're right, actually. It just, it's, it's, 
for all the spectacular elements it has coming together and for the fact that it has Nicholas Courtney in and, and you know, it's a lot of uh, solid performances and all the rest of it, it's a fairly unremarkable story. It's notably hard to sum up, which um, is, is amazing, really. I'm not quite sure how you managed to do that. I, 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 hmm. Yeah. Shall we bring it to the end there, then? Yes, that would be a good right. idea. Well, in the, I hope you enjoyed that, folks. In our next episode, we're going to be looking at the Tom Baker Leela story, Horror of Fang Rock, Yay. which will be a lot easier to summarise. And if you want to uh, drop us a line, you can email us at nakedscarf at gmail. Also, check out our blog, which is nakedscarf.tumblr.com. Leave comments, follow us. Give us abuse. Give us abuse. Leave us a, a glowing iTunes review. I especially like the abuse. <laughs> I'm sorry, I will never open my mouth again. I was joking. I was joking. <laughs> Until next time, folks, take care. <laughs>